Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. I keep getting listeners from all over the world in all sorts of cool places. Shout out to the multiple listeners I have in Chicago, a city I immediately fell in love with when I went there for a random trip a few years ago and accidentally ended up staying at the hotel that was hosting a convention for the little people of America. It was glorious. Midgets everywhere, and the hotel even had a special set of stairs made for the front desk so they could see over the top of it. (sighs) What a wonderful city. This week's podcast is brought to you by our military. Men and women have fought and died for us to live in a place where I have the freedom to say things like this without worrying about being taken away in the middle of the night by an oppressive regime. And for that, I thank you. And now, your number one source for what's happening in Canada today. From the mind that brought you 222 minutes, this is my 222 cents. Three, two, one. Julie Zerowicz, the Liberal MP from Davenport, introduced Bill C-273 in the House of Commons last week, which would introduce a universal basic income to Canadians. It was unironically tabled in an economic growth strategy, which would help all Canadians contribute more to our national economy. As far as political strategies go, it's interesting. Given that most folks further right of liberal politics have become so galvanized against them that they'll never give them a chance, the liberals are going after the only votes left, the NDPs. I'm about to get into why this is a bad idea, but before I do, it's worth noting that the liberals would rather be in charge of bad policy than give up power to good ideas. Now folks, I'm not an economist, but I know a few things. A good way to look at economics is to say that it addresses how individuals respond to incentives. For example, if you pass regulations saying that people of color who start businesses are eligible for grants, something the Liberals did last year, you can expect an uptick in genealogy tests because people have a vested interest in proving any shred of ethnic diversity because they have an incentive to do so. Now, this universal basic income proposal is a bill that would see people get paid no matter what they did or did not do. In other words, it takes away the incentive to work and to contribute to economic growth. People no longer see potential starvation as a reason to set their alarm clocks in the morning. In short, it does the exact opposite of what it's supposed to do. Now, up until pretty much exactly a year ago, I was on the fence about something like this. Despite the obvious economic ramifications, I wondered if maybe something like this on a small scale, something like a one-year option you could take at any time, might actually do the world some favors. It might give more people the chance to start a business or write that novel they've been picking away at for years or finally get that automatic basting pup for making the world's greatest beer butt chicken to work instead of nearly burning the house down every time you melted another prototype that can't stand the prolonged heat. Younger me, that fucking idiot, thought there might be a situation where a few good things might outweigh the overwhelming bad. Then COVID happened. 
This is pretty much what Serb has been, and look at the consequences. Yes, it's impossible to completely remove the shutdowns when you're looking at the ramifications, but how many great novels showed up this year? How many garage startups happened? What great innovations has society come up with while their hands were no longer tied by the oppressive strains of employment? Jack shit. Now, as I said, this is a liberal bill. I was shocked when I heard this. It's pretty much what I'd expect from the NDP. In fact, until I started reading into it, I thought it was their bill. They've been pushing it for a long time, even if it's the worst idea an NDP member has had since Jack Layton got busted at an Asian rub and tug. What? I'm not allowed to say anything bad, if accurate, about someone just because they're dead? Google it if you don't believe me. This dude happened to be at an Asian rub and tug when police broke down the door looking for underage sex workers. Cops found him buck-ass naked, and it probably wasn't the happy ending he was hoping for. But hey, at least he did his part to promote immigrant job growth, right? And while we're talking about Jack Layton, he said on his deathbed, quote, My friends, love is better than anger. Hope is better than fear. Optimism is better than despair. Inspiring words. Very original. Now, let's compare that to an excerpt from a World War I speech that Sir Wilfred Laurier, of all people, gave. Quote, Remember that faith is better than doubt and love is better than hate. Yeah, you heard that right. For those of you who don't know, it's still plagiarism if you just change one word. The last thing that this famous socialist politician did before he died was reap the rewards of someone else's work. For all his other shortcomings, I'll give Jack Layton this much. The man was consistent. But let's get back to the universal basic income. The reasoning on this is pretty simple, and as such, you don't have particularly many economists saying that it's a good idea unless they have a personal stake in the statement because they live in PEI or something, he said hypothetically. Economists say it's a bad fucking idea. Game over, man. Hell, if you people want further proof of how bad it works, look at everywhere else it's been tried before. You know, every communist country ever. There was a saying in communist Poland, whether you're standing up or lying down, it's still 1,000 zloty a month. This isn't even some throwaway statement. They all said it. It would have been on bumper stickers if people could have afforded them or the vehicles to put them on. You know, communism is a funny thing. You never, ever, 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 ever hear someone from a former communist country saying, hey, it wasn't so bad. Maybe we should try it again. The fiercest opponents of communism, and let's be clear, Paying everyone in a country regardless of their employment level is literally communism. The fiercest opponents of communism are always the ones who managed to get away from it. It stands to reason that the ones who didn't manage to get away from it might also take umbrage with the concept, but sadly they're just a bit too dead for us to ask them. Hell, no one has a good thing to say about living under socialism either. 
Just look at literally any interview in Venezuela in the past decade. They talk about how they've watched people die or how they've eaten their pets and any vermin they can get their hands on to keep from starving. They don't even try to put a positive spin on it. You'd think, if nothing else, El Presidente Maduro would get in front of a camera and say, look at us, we're rat-free and there's no fat chicks. And if you point any of this out to hopeful socialists or communists in modern society, they say, that wasn't real communism, or that wasn't real socialism. Then they'll tell you that capitalism has failed. Well, I got a newsflash for you, angry 3.6 wave feminist. We have socialized medicine. It's a disaster. Socialized education. Shit show. Socialized garbage removal. A fucking train wreck that gets more expensive every year. You say capitalism has failed, but that wasn't real capitalism. And no matter what shade of purple you dye your armpit hair, it's not going to change the truth. And this isn't the first leftist ideology that plays out in the real world exactly the opposite of what its stated purpose is. Like everything else the NDP tries to support, this universal income is basic as fuck. In a great bit of karma, a man in India was killed by his rooster last week during an illegal cockfight. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. Two, two, two. Didn't I just hear something about illegal cockfights in the news a little while ago? Great question, and you're absolutely right. You did. Last fall, a video emerged of Liberal Minister Catherine McKenna bribing her way into an illegal cockfight in Indonesia, then eating dog meat afterwards. Apparently, cultural appropriation is only okay when you do it to Venezuelans. This was an old video, though, and it took some time for the truth to come out. But every dog has its day. As I told you before, the Canadian government put forth a bill to condemn the genocide happening to the Uyghur Muslims in China. Well, it came to a vote in the House of Commons last week. With no way to stop it, Justin Trudeau did the most Justin Trudeau thing a Justin Trudeau could possibly Justin Trudeau. He didn't show up for work that day. In fact, his entire cabinet abstained. You want to talk about privilege? This guy's entire team decided to skip work for the day because they didn't want to do their job. And you know what else? Those fucksticks didn't even have the decency to call it a sick day. Can you imagine any other job in the world where you could get away with this? Hey boss, I know it's what you hired me to do and what you pay me for, but the shitter's full. I'm not coming into work until someone else takes care of it. Do you think you could get away with that? Fuck no. You'd be out on your ass in less time than it takes the city of Edmonton to clear the bike lanes after it snows. So anyway, the Liberal cabinet went AWOL and the entire rest of the House of Commons unanimously passed this bill. Then, literally two days later, the aforementioned Catherine McKenna took to Twitter to speak out against an alleged hate crime against a Muslim woman in the aforementioned city of Edmonton. Needless to say, lots of people were surprised she didn't abstain from that as well. 
But apparently, in this day and age, atrocities against Muslims are only okay if they're done by someone who's Chinese. But it didn't stop there. The vote made headlines all across the world, most notably England, India, and Australia. The Aussie show, Sky News, covered this, and it's worth checking out for two main reasons. One, in classic Australian fashion, they pulled no punches. They raked Trudeau over the coals on this. Two, when an Aussie says Uyghur, it comes out sounding like Uyghur in an Australian accent. And I believe I speak on behalf of everyone with a passing memory of 1998 when I say that a Uyghur genocide might actually be something that I could get behind. People aren't just talking about this either, though, in the rest of the world. The Netherlands government also declared it to be a genocide last week. Watch for other countries to follow suit in the coming months as the world slowly moves forward, leaving Justin Trudeau behind. I want to talk about Canadian quarantine camps for a little bit. There's some confusion around these lately, mainly started by the CBC, who reported in October that stories of hotels being set up for mandatory quarantine was a, quote, disinformation campaign. Well, it turns out that they're just as real as the $1.3 billion we're forced to give the CBC annually for such hard-hitting journalism, which, by the way, they haven't retracted or corrected as of yet. In fact, last week, a woman was forcibly sent to one in Montreal after returning home from Seattle despite having a negative COVID test. They took her passport away, put her in a cab, and didn't tell her where she was going. When she was there, she was sexually assaulted by another quarantined guest. The details are pretty grisly, but there's an article in La Presse that lays them out if you're interested in getting further into this. It comes just days after an employee at a private security company tasked by the federal government to ensure quarantine compliance in Oakville was charged after allegedly trying to extort a returning traveler, then sexually assaulting her. Perhaps the most telling part of the latter story is that the name of the company is being withheld, and it's just another item in a long list of opaque missteps our government pretty much runs as a matter of course nowadays. There's no work being done by our government. Well, I could end the sentence there. There's no work being done by our government that doesn't have more spins than Keith Richards on a Tuesday morning. Everything is political angling, misinformation, personal favors, and black boxes. It isn't just literally every part of the so-called COVID response either. If you want to find out exactly how Bombardier got their latest bailout that they supposedly didn't ask for in 2018, there's no one in the Canadian government who can give you an answer. How do I know this? Because I reached out to them. I asked them if it would be possible to get a commensurate pile of free money for myself and which forms I needed to fill out to get it. I told them that I met the exact same criteria as Bombardier. Years of bad decisions left me in a situation where getting a nice chunk of cash I didn't earn would make my life easier until I blew through it all and came back again asking for more. I couldn't get a straight answer from anyone, though, because there's no government bailout form to fill out. This all happens in back rooms. 
And not the fun back rooms either, where there's bottles of champagne and half-naked ladies. Actually, you know what? I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if it wasn't exactly that kind of back room. Keep in mind that it wasn't too long ago that Justin Trudeau said in a speaking engagement at McMaster University, and I quote, The intensity, the excitement of being in the middle of a political campaign. It's heavy. It's fun stuff. There's pizza, sex, and all sorts of fun things. Not only that, but keep in mind, the liberals ran up $384,000 worth of food and wine on five government flights in 2018. They're no strangers to popping bottles when it's you and me picking up the tab. And sex scandals aren't exactly unheard of with Trudeau's Liberal Party either. Among those alleged, there have been Marwan Tabara, Kent Hare, Darshan Kang, and the big man himself, Justin, who famously groped a reporter and later said that she, quote, experienced it differently. No shit. Breaking news. Boston Public Schools have suspended an advanced program because officials were, quote, disturbed by the number of Asian and white students. As of yet, there has been no comment on this by either the NBA or the NFL. Joe Biden has been president for just over a month now in the United States. Last week, he ordered a bombing of Syria without congressional approval. Everyone knew that the peace in the Middle East that Trump brokered late last year was going to be fragile, but the fact that it was the U.S. that shattered it shocked many Americans, all of whom voted Democrat in the last election. So going forward, when you hear that Joe Biden is droning on and on, you can't just assume it's referring to a speech anymore. He's also building more migrant housing facilities for attempted illegal immigrants at the Mexican border. That is, on top of the ones he already built during the Obama administration. That's right, you may not know this, but most of them were built before Trump took office, despite the fact that he was bombarded in the media constantly for them. In fact, most of the scary pictures the media were throwing around a few years ago were taken while Biden was still vice president. The only difference is that when Trump was in charge, they were called concentration camps. Now, they're being called influx facilities. And credit where it's due, the left is a hell of a lot better at naming things than the right is. Yeah, there were a half dozen missteps with global warming, but that's one case where they actually learned from a mistake. Look at Black Lives Matter. They were an extremist group long before their perfect summer last year. Hell, if you'd have asked me a year ago, I'd have said that ending every night in July with a bonfire was a great idea. They ruined that too. But you can't possibly pick a better name because it's just so gloriously ambiguous. It shelters them. You can't say, I don't support Black Lives Matter or Black Lives Matter is a bad thing because now all of a sudden you sound racist instead of what you're actually saying, which is that you don't support violent protests. Same thing with Antifa. Antifa is short for anti-fascist. Well, I'm against fascism too. This sounds like a great club. I mean, 
Fascism is dictatorial power and forcible suppression of opposition and strong regimentation of society and of the economy. Who wouldn't be against that? What a stunning and brave group, those anti-fascists. Except that all this organization does is try to impose their ideologies on people by force. They've never done delegations, speaking engagements, humanitarian outreach, or anything else aside from burning down businesses and attacking people in the street who disagree with them. What in the mostly peaceful protesting fuck do they think this could possibly be except fascism? They're literally the opposite of what their name is, but they get a pass and it's at least partly due to that name. This would be like the liberals renaming their party Anti-Skip and saying that it's short for Anti-Skip Work whenever there's a vote against China in Parliament. The left's marketing team is head and shoulders above everyone else at the table. Look at the so-called affordable housing. That sounds great. A house that people can afford. What's not to love? Well, sadly, the outcomes go on a big tangent from where the intentions start. Affordable housing regulations disincentivize urban construction and responsible landlords. Rather than having more housing available, there's less. When you take away all tenant accountability and potential upside for the investment, there's no longer an incentive to be a builder or a responsible landlord. So they either don't do it or they don't do it there. It actually restricts the amount when everything's said and done. Then a small amount of people get decent houses at ridiculous taxpayer expense, a few live in slums, and the rest of them either have to live in a different area or nowhere at all. This is just the Coles notes on it though. Again, not an economist, folks. But economists have written a lot about this and other unintended consequences of idealistic policies. The book Economic Facts and Fallacies has an entire section devoted just to affordable housing and how its name has literally nothing to do with the end result it creates. And if any of you are listening from East York and Toronto where you're trying to fight exactly this kind of development right now, this is a hell of a lot better argument than the one you gave Global News that the parking lot it's slated to replace is a community hub. Seriously, you sound like entitled assholes grasping at straws. There's a better way to do this, and it's not trying to make a parking pad look like the Parthenon. It's something you might want to keep in mind the next time you're talking to your counselor, Brad Bradford, who, by the way, has just about the goofiest name I can think of. But let's get back to the names the left gives things. Look at the far-right extremism I talked about last week. Illegal immigrants being called irregular immigrants. It's blackface when anyone else does it, but for Justin Trudeau, it was only brownface. Can someone please explain to me how racism against East Indians is somehow less racist than racism against black people? Anyone who actually thinks that brownface is somehow less bad than blackface is prioritizing one race over another, and we have a word for that. Or tar sands. Here's a great example. Tar is created in one way and one way only. It is a product of something called destructive distillation. 
It's not a natural substance. And because of that, you can't find it anywhere in nature, including the so-called tar sands. So the next time you hear someone say tar sands in a discussion about them, you know that they're trying to make their argument based on emotion rather than facts. And when the oil and gas industry finally decided that was causing them too much bad press, they went for the weakest possible counter. They called it oil sands. You guys gotta think bigger. Look at everything it does. Look at everything we create with it. Fuck. Look at everything it pays for. If you'd been thinking at all, you guys would have called it the healthcare sands. Then, the next time some asshole starts a literal tire fire on railroad tracks in the names of the environment and irony protesting natural resource development, you can ask him, Hey buddy, why are you doing this? Don't you support healthcare? Well folks, that's the show for this week. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to share this with anyone you know who hasn't already heard of it. I think there's a lot of important messages we need to get out there, but that's just my 222 cents on it.